Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Podcast One presents... This is a collect call from Sing Sing. My name is John J. Lennon. I'm locked up for selling drugs and committing murder. I'm also a contributor for Esquire magazine and the Marshall Project. So I'm a writer and I'm a prisoner. Imagine trying to stay focused and talk about issues of substance with gates slamming, prisoners screaming, and PAs blaring in the background. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts. Fourteenth uh, on Tuesday, I thought it was Thursday, so that tells you where I'm at right now. This is the PFF forecast. Uh, we've got a fun one today. We're gonna have uh, Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News on. We're gonna talk some Cowboys, we're gonna do some MVP odds, some Ravens stuff, some Lamar stuff. Um, I want to open up with a little uh, Russell Wilson, a little Monday Night Football. It should be a good one. Uh, so let's rock. Eric, where are you, by the way? In a small town called Kendall, Wisconsin. This is where my uh, my brother in law changed. My brother in law graciously allowed me to stay uh, for a little bit in his second house. Um, my I, I had to I, I had to get I had to separate our two children at some point. So, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so. you're rocking the um, the the quarantine beard, but you look oddly refreshed after the long trip. So. I think that's a good sign. Um, the, the quarantine, beer, we're, we're like past the point where it's going to be easy to shave this off. I, I mean, you're not, you're not shaving that. You have to trim it first. I, yeah. I've got quarantine hat and I experienced last night something that is, uh, that I have not before, which is, can you eat too much fried rice? I, uh, I think I met the limit last night. I, that was that was my quarantine experience uh, for this week. I, I have had an inordinate amount of fried rice during this break. But here's the thing, Kendall. It's probably like Kendall is not reachable by DoorDash, so I'm a, I'm in a oh. little bit of a predicament here. Oh, I know. Uh-oh. So what are you cooking up? What's your specialty? If well, you had to thing. make one meal, if you had to make one meal to impress someone or feed yourself, what would it be? Oh, to feed myself. Um, probably like eggs, right? Gotta stay uh, strong. Scrambled, sunny side up. Scrambled with like oh, peppers and stuff in them. Okay. But if I had like, I don't know, I don't think I'd, I would try to make uh, a meal to impress somebody. Okay. Scrambled you know, eggs. You, if you make scrambled eggs well, uh, it yeah. should impress someone. Um, yeah. Anyways, I'm not, I'm, I was going to tell my scrambled egg story. I'm not going to do that. Uh, so I was trying to go to bed last night and I saw that, um, Chris Sims said Russell Wilson was offered for the number one pick in 2018. And I, I was trying to figure out, so this is the Seahawks offering Wilson up before his extension for the Browns, number one pick they used to take Baker Mayfield. And I, I was trying to figure out which side is more ridiculous the Seahawks offering up a top five offering it 
or the Browns turning it down? It's a very good question, right? Because one of the things, um, so it, at the time, the Seahawks were coming off of their first playoff list season with uh, Wilson, right? 2017, they went nine and seven. They've narrowly missed the playoffs. Um, Wilson was coming off a seat. Like it was the transition yeah. to Brian Schott, Brian Schott. One of his worst seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Transition to Brian Schottenheimer that has a little bit of like a uh, Packers Jordan love flavor to it. Doesn't it? Where mm. like, they're like, well, we're going to run the football yeah. and control the clock and what, it, and, that, and they didn't realize that like having a quarterback that can bail you out of that dumb, uh, you know, infrastructure is better. Right. And the Packers right. will find this out when they fail with Jordan love, but like the, uh, it has a little bit of flavor to that. So I, I, I'm on, I still think the Browns are dumber for, for turning it down, but I think the Seahawks are low key, the worst for even offering it. Yeah, I think it's the, I, I don't know. It's a real toss up to me. I would say so, it's the Browns just because they have had such a maligned history, right? It's like you finally mm-hmm. are given this break and you just turn it down. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting to look back. And so I was looking at his, his grading here. That was his lowest graded season of the past five years. Now, from that point on, he's been fantastic. But yeah. the question really comes to down to like people have these rose-colored glasses about draft picks before they've played in the NFL. And I was even this is a question I might ask Michael. Like I then I then thought about what if the Cowboys had offered Dak for Joe Burrow? which is a much more extreme, I think, version of this, right? Because Dak's not as good as Russell Wilson. But maybe right now, relative to where Russell Wilson was in 2017, it's a little closer. I think Joe Burrow's viewed much more highly than Baker Mayfield is. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that I mean, crazy? People, went, people hated this idea. They think that the yeah. Bengals would turn this down a million times. And I think that's... I think it should be really close. I, well, I don't isn't know. this similar to our discussion the other day about Allen and Trubisky and that the unknown yeah. is, the unknown more, is, is more valuable to some people than uh, the known the known is, is average? The tough thing, the tough thing is I, I think there's a lot of unknown still with Dak. You just, you may have cut out on me there. I don't know. I can hear you now. Um, I just think there's a lot of unknown still with Dak. So that is tricky, but it should be, it should be not a, a foregone conclusion that you would, you would say the borough side side is better. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the college to pro projections, Burrow's a little lower than Mayfield was um, after you take, after we did some adjustments um, for, you know, support uh, and things like that. So um, but we have two years of Mayfield, right? And, and, you know, the, those two years, uh, in a weird way curb, um, you know, obviously the, the, our perception of him. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I, the, the, the DAC thing is tough because, um, and we'll talk to, to Michael about this, but there's like, there is still a decent amount uh, of unprovenness. Um, you know, to it. And and with Burrow, it's like, you also have to weigh in 
what does it mean to have a guy start fresh with your organization? Like that means something to you financially. It means something to your fan base um, that, you know, obviously isn't going to show up necessarily on the field. Now, if he's, if he's an average quarterback, does it matter? Like, does it matter that Andy Dalton was with the Bengals for, you know, however long and that he started with them? No, it doesn't. That's the thing. Yeah. That's At the, some point, no, it matters whether or not you win football games. Yeah. Yeah. Although comes, I, I, I stuck my neck out and said, I don't think Dalton's the worst thing in the world if the Cowboys have to, you know, play, play ball next year. But it, it, he certainly is. And I mean, I was on, um, I was talking to the Denver uh, radio guys on, on KOA last night and they were like, okay, so what's the question mark with the Broncos? It's like, well, it's the quarterback position. Like this is, they've done a good job to say that this is the question mark. Now it's for sure the question mark, but if you had Andy Dalton there, you'd feel so much better about the the floor for that team. And mm-hmm. the, and the Cowboys certain, certainly should feel that way. Like even if something bad happens to Dak this year, you know, which is obviously something that could happen. You are in such a better situation. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I, I think, I mean, what's the, what's the, we, we talked about the Los Angeles chargers last week. Are the Broncos in a similar straight where they have support um, to the degree that if the quarterback doesn't hold, hold up, it might end up being, I mean, we saw it with Cleveland too last year for a different reason, the head coach and the quarterback together failed and that team became dysfunctional relatively quickly is the Bronco are the Broncos in a similar position and does a backup quarterback like Andy Dalton keep you from that you saw it in Tennessee right like you know Mariota was garbage but pot garbage for six weeks Tannehill comes in and like you light a spark under that team right you know and that there's some value to that and the you know one of the things that they they brought up which I thought was really interesting is okay but what what happens if, you know, is, is it a bad thing to have a young quarterback comes out in his first game, maybe throws a couple of shaky passes and then the fans maybe start to turn on him? And I go, no, no, that's the whole point. If you're that worried about that happening, that's why you bring in a backup quarterback. Right. Because if the guy can't handle quarter one of week one with a decent backup, and throwing a bad pass, then he isn't going to handle any other high-pressure situation very well. Well, that was like the Tannehill contract when we're like, you know, uh, if you're already talking about how to get out, or the Cousins contract, if you're already talking about how to get out of it, the day it's signed, uh, are are you? did you really get a good deal? I mean, this is a great point. Um, let's do uh let's do some monday night football stuff so there are odds on who is going to be uh the announcer game one of the 2020 nfl season i have not seen this yeah i posted it in our doc i'll read them to you here so uh sweet lou riddick plus 225 is the favorite along with uh, dan orlovsky at plus 225 now I want to start there. Which Sorry, one would you I, rather I have? have to get, I have to maintain my poker face here. <laughs> which one? Which one would you rather have? No, I mean Lewis Riddick is 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 a hundred times better than Tanner Vlosky, but <laughs> I still I agree with you. I find I you. Oh, here's Michael. What's going on? Um, I, I agree with you, hey, Michael. Hey guys, Michael, what's going on? We were we were just uh, we were just discussing the Monday Night Football announcer odds. 
and uh, Orlovsky and Riddick are, are the two co-favorites. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Do you have a strong preference either way? I don't, honestly. I um, It's almost embarrassing how little about their actual personal styles and broadcasts. Right experiences that I don't watch a ton of their television content. I usually just don't even watch much sports related TV when I can afford to. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, I mean, I do, I do respect Riddick a lot um, based on what I've, I've seen from him and I'm less, I'm less familiar with Orlovsky. The, the thing with Orlovsky is that they would have to show him running out of the back of the end zone. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not sure he could, I'm not sure he could withstand that. Michael, thanks for, uh, for hopping on with us. Um, I, you know, it was, it was funny. The last time that we spoke, um, we were talking about Mike McCarthy and I was in a hotel room in Vegas. And I remember cause we, we, uh, we were talking about the conference that I was at. And it's so funny to think back on that now given where we're at, given where Las Vegas is at right now um, and, and how different times have changed in like a couple of months. Do you have any good uh, quarantine habits that you've gotten into that we, we can start off with? Um, it's a great question. We got a dog in wow. March, a uh, puppy. Uh, we were from a local Dallas shelter and she's super cute, super fun. Um, we, uh, my, my fiance and I, we've, we've had to make some adjustments to day-to-day life for or, or just our plans in general. Uh, you know, we were, we were hoping to get married in July, but that California wedding is, is not, yeah. so, um, it's the puppy has been a bit of a consolation prize for us throughout this whole thing. So, uh, going on lots of walks, um, you know, getting my hands chewed up pretty good, uh, <laughs> you know, all part of the daily routine around here. I, that, that's a, I've had a couple of friends who have picked up, uh, puppies as well. And it's been, the results have been like overall positive, but not entirely. <laughs> like there are some who are like, yeah, I didn't realize it was this much work. And then of course, Eric over here has kids. So it's like, you know, puppy times seven. Yeah. I, I got my, my wife and kids a dog because I was gone for the month of January and felt bad. <laughs> Uh, and that was, I don't know. I don't dislike the dog, but like, I certainly am not uh, the biggest fan, but it, you who, know, it makes who, them happy. Who chose, who had more choice in the dog? You or the fiance? I think it was a, it was a shared choice. Okay. I talked about a dog for a while and, um, uh, my fiance's birthday is in March. So, um, we, we kind of tied it into that, uh, as you know, the, as this being the right time, knowing that we're not going to have a lot of travel coming up with work. And, uh, to, to your guys' point, it's, it's, you know, the dog is a lot of work, but I'm 32 years old. A lot of my friends are about that age where they're, they have newborn children around the house that they're around all day, every day. And I find that I catch myself as not complaining about how much work this puppy is. Cause I, have a good idea and respect for just how much more consuming it is to have a, a, a newborn child at home. So that that's such a good point. I, I mean, look, we're about, we're, we're close in age and I have some friends that are in the same place. And every time I go on Instagram, I have the same thought, which is, wow, thank God that's not me right now. Um, I have so much less work to do. It's great. Um, All right. So uh, you guys, you've been kind of lucky. The Cowboys have had a ton of interesting things to talk about 
this entire offseason. And I want to start with McCarthy because, you know, when we spoke, it was about, hey, he's going to bring this new vibe to Dallas. He's going to do some things that are maybe a little more analytically forward thinking. Now we're in a situation where he's not able to have that kind of, you know, on hands-on approach with the team. What's the vibe around him bringing the new culture to Dallas during a pandemic? Well, I haven't spoken to Mike directly about this, um, but I can only imagine uh, based on conversations with him in the past, getting known a little bit at the combine, understanding his plan that he had in place, how much time he spent uh, during the 2019 calendar year of just being away from the game and applauding for the type of head coach that he wanted to be, the type of things he wanted to instill upon his next opportunity, that this is frustrating. Uh, you know, and then obviously it's, it's one of those uh, frustrations that you have to be careful to express publicly because you don't want to seem unsensitive. You don't want to seem out of touch with everything that's happening in the world. Uh, your lack of you know, your frustration uh, pales into a lot of the other anguish that's happening elsewhere in this country, elsewhere in this world amid this public health crisis. But from a pure professional standpoint, uh, yeah, this is not at all what Mike McCarthy envisioned. He envisioned standing in front of his players and delivering a message, uh, being able to really map out what he wanted to achieve, the sort of tone he wanted to set. And, you know, is he still doing those things? Like say, for example, with the rookie draft class where last week, Mike McCarthy is part of this larger, you know, zoom WebEx type call going through the expectations of the program and certain aspects of, you know, what he wants from those rookies. Uh, he's still doing that. Yes. But it's not quite the same uh, when you are forced to do it while miles and miles I mean, thousands of miles in some cases away from these guys. It's not obviously what he wanted. The, the zoom thing. Yeah, I, that's a, that's a really good. So I mean, cause it, yeah. Cause I mean the, a lot of these guys, most of them, right, are, are huge control freaks. And uh, especially when given, I mean, this is the first time Carthy's had, you know, to, to restart and given free reign of whatever he's wanted since what, like 2006. So, you know, he was probably really looking forward to this and, you know, were one NFL event, you know, the combine, uh, you know, into it. And uh, it, it all sort of goes away, uh, which has got to be frustrating for him. Um, what is your, what's, what's your, uh, read on sort of what's going on with Prescott right now? Like what, why is the, why is the hangup, uh, you know, going into, you know, now we're in, into May, probably get into June, even before, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we get any sort of serious movement on his contract. Well, admittedly, there's, hasn't been much play to, play by play as it relates to, you know, this is what we accomplished today or not accomplished today. You know, we haven't talked since, you know, I'm not getting that every day, but what I understood to be for a while now, the separator between the two sides, the key separator is the language specifically pertaining to lengths of the deal. I don't know if they've cleared this early yet or the Cowboys want a five-year deal and Dak Prescott's agent Todd France want a shorter deal. It makes sense from both sides where each is trying to navigate the evolving landscape of the NFL salary cap. And it's been for several years now where it's been a pretty incremental jump of about nine to $10 million each year in that salary cap. Well, but the new collective bargain agreement, uh, which, uh, you know, creates room for a 17th regular season game 
being added. It creates a new revenue stream uh, through gambling that is entirely new in terms of shared revenue between the owners and the players. Uh, but really that 17th game with the TV contracts, uh, everyone close to the situation anticipates a pretty sizable jump in the years to come. Unclear if this COVID-19 situation changes that. Obviously, the revenue dynamic uh, very well could be different this year, uh, even though most of that money is tied into TV money. You know, how many games are there? Um, so all those intricacies aside, uh, if you're Todd France and you expect the salary cap to really in- incline over the coming years, it behooves you to have your client re-enter the market as soon as possible because uh, max deal in 2020 with that salary cap will look a lot smaller compared to 2023, 2024, around the time that you want to re-enter negotiations. Right. And do you think, uh, is there, is there also something to the fact that, you know, there are a couple quarterbacks uh, who are, you know, entering their fourth year, uh, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, where Dak is comparable, at least I think to Watson, um, is that slowing anything or, or is, or, and, and is there some sort, is there some, you know, uh, pressure, I guess, uh, in, in him sort of being possibly the first domino to fall among those players? I don't believe it's slowing anything from the Cowboys side. Uh, they are eager to get this done. If they had their way, they would have gotten this done during the 2019 offseason. Uh, from CAA standpoint, from Dak Prescott's standpoint, it could. I mean, I think they're very comfortable in general with playing this thing out. Uh, we've seen that thus far in this process. They're comfortable with a franchise tag north of $31 million in the state without any income taxes, state income taxes, that is. Uh, they're comfortable uh, with Dak Prescott's endorsement money, with the insurance policy that he plays. He's pretty comfortable financially. And so although the two sides have until July 15th to reach a long-term agreement, I do chance a long-term agreement is reached before then, Dak Prescott really would be okay one way or the other. And if he chooses to wait, uh, the franchise tag will be available to him in 2021. And just you know, around we go uh, as yeah. this whole situation plays out. Well, that, that was, and that's the thing that, that I keep coming back to. So I, you know, you look at it and what you just said, it iterates, reiterates that Dak Prescott has the leverage. Like he can sit there and say, Hey, I'm going to make 31 million. I've got endorsements. Your backup option is Andy Dalton. Like people are not going to be happy if Andy Dalton is the quarterback, you know, two seasons from now, it's gotta be, it's gotta be me. And the way the franchise tag escalates he would get what 37, 38 next year. That's another great chunk of money. And then it would be something astronomical like 50. So if he just says, I'm willing to sit it out and wait, then he's getting, you know, 31, 37, and then is a free agent in a year where the salary cap theoretically would be way higher and he could command a much bigger deal. And he has this great supporting cast around him. So it all comes back to, the huge mistake was not getting this done last off season. And do you, do you think there's a sense like to me, that's a huge blunder. Does anyone in Dallas in the organization feel that that is a huge mistake or they just think, Oh no, it'll get worked out. I think if they had their way, it would have gotten done where there was an earnest effort to take care of Dak 
before the 2019 season, the Cowboys are very well aware of the financial realities surrounding the NFL and specifically its salary cap. Jerry Jones, extremely in tune with CBA negotiations. He's flying to Chicago weekly. Uh, he was at the forefront of it. So if there was any owner who knew you'd be wise to you know, take care of these long-term deals today rather than push it down the road. It was Jerry Jones. And I think you look at what the Cowboys did last summer, you know, they extended Lyle Collins, a right tackle who had a phenomenal 2019 season. They were ahead of that. Uh, they extended a uh, linebacker, uh, Jalen Smith. Uh, you know, you could argue that that wasn't the best idea. You know, he had a, a down season, even though he made his first pro bowl, uh, and there were other issues there behind the scenes. But nonetheless, uh, the philosophy of going out and paying guys aggressively before you had to was all there. So uh, I think the Cowboys envisioned as Dak Prescott being part of it. Uh, he didn't, he exercised his right not to. And he will, his contract will have more value uh, this year if he gets the deal done than it would have had last year. He's effectively bet on himself and won. Uh, I think the Cowboys uh, have done a phenomenal job of, of surrounding. Dak Prescott with talent. I mean, that uh, cupboard is about as full as it is anywhere else in the league. Yeah. It's almost comical. And I know Dak Prescott wants to be not just an NFL starting quarterback or an NFL franchise quarterback or a highest paid quarterback. He wants to be the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. That building, that franchise, that locker room are all very, very important to him. So ultimately, I think this is a deal that's done. But this is part of the process when you're talking about a deal of this scale. Yeah. I mean, it, from Dak's perspective, he, you know, looking at this and going, Hey, last year when, and Eric and I talk about this all the time, like the Cowboys got unlucky, their regression should be back up to, you know, like the average for how good they were passing the football. Um, it, you know, their record did not uh, reflect that. And so if he's just smart in thinking about that and he goes, Hey, if I get this team to the playoffs, maybe win a playoff game there is no way that my value doesn't increase by a lot. And so, you know, with, with the CD lamb pick and, and Trayvon Diggs, who you wrote about um, like those, those are great picks that help this team get better. And then you have that regression and then you have Mike McCarthy. Like it makes so much sense for Dak. I almost wonder, you, you said you think this deal gets done. It, it has to be on Dak's terms though, right? Like this deal is not getting done unless it's on his terms, right? Without a doubt. Yeah. This is a, you know, Dak's got to have to be comfortable with it. And ultimately, it's his voice and not his agents where he's going to have to be comfortable with whatever the structure is, whatever the APY is, whatever all the details are. It could be a situation where if you're Todd France, you say, you know what? I think we should just play this situation out even longer. Uh, let's just go into the 2020 season under the franchise tag and we'll circle around in 2021 and Dak, say, Dak come around and say, you know what? No, uh, let's just do this. Let's take care of it. I'm ready for this to be behind me. I'm just ready to go. Um, so ultimately is Dak's call on whatever the situation, however it plays out, whenever it concludes, whenever it comes to that resolution, it's, it's on Dak's terms. There's really only one risk for Dak, right? I mean, if, if things go well in the NFL, over the next two, three years, you know, he's going to play it. Like he could, if he plays it out like Kirk Cousins does, he's going to get uh, a very good deal. I mean, I think the one risk is, you know, he plays the season on the franchise tag, the salary cap contracts and the sal you know, the, the franchise tag is too steep for Dallas to pay 
uh, next season, but it's also a big deal is too heavy for the majority of the NFL um, due to contraction in the salary cap. I think that that's a pretty low probability event, but that's got to be really the only thing right now uh, that gives Dak Prescott pause. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. It's just the uncertainty of this current public health situation and not knowing exactly how that will affect the financial landscape in the immediate future. I think that's fair to say, and I'm sure that has been a, a focal point of where, you know, his agents, his agents have, you know, looked at the situation. You know, it's probably been a main point of their focus is, is figuring out, you know, try to project how this could impact the growth that otherwise would be expected in the salary cap. I still think even if it does contract, uh, you know, everyone around the league understands who Dak Prescott is and what he's proven thus far and, and where his trajectory lies. And the Cowboys certainly will have enough money uh, one way or the other to take, take care of him. So I don't, yeah, like, like you said, probably not a, a huge chance of, of that being a real issue. And I would think that as part of Dak Prescott's insurance policy, unless just injury-driven, injury, injury uh, there, there might be some language there that would even protect him for that. You brought up a great point that I, w- I was thinking about, and, and we've talked about this a little bit. Do you get the sense that NFL players are taking the pandemic more or less seriously than maybe the average uh, American is? That's a great question. I think probably just as it does with, I'm sure, members of each of your families, where it varies yeah. yeah. <laughs> incredibly and almost frustratingly so. I wouldn't even say almost. Um, there's pretty, pretty wide variance between how the, you know, average American, uh, views the pandemic. There are people who believe public health experts and there are people who I would say shockingly, but I think I've come to learn who don't. And, um, and ultimately people have to do what, what makes them, what makes them comfortable. And, and, and there's no state law that says you can't do this or you can't do that. Um, but I think you see a lot of players, who are really observing all the guidelines that have been recommended. And there are others who are having these training sessions where it's several of them getting together, doing a group photo uh, afterward, put on Instagram and like, as if it was any uh, normal year. And we all wish it was like any normal year, but obviously, obviously it's not. And tens of American, tens of thousands of Americans have died from this and, and, and tens of thousands of Americans more are projected to in the coming months. And so, um, you know, I think some NFL owners, some NFL players, again, are, are taking it very seriously, but others uh, far less so. I mean, I think that's well said. I mean, there's, there have been people in the last, you know, week or so that have said, you know, I, I can't media members, you know, wish the NFL season wasn't happening. And it's like, that couldn't be further from the truth. We just want everybody to be safe. <laughs> I wonder if yeah. uh, I wonder if Jerry saw. I, I was going to say I wonder if Jerry saw you know Zeke and and Dak throwing a little party, and he said, you know what, maybe we'll get Andy Dalton in here just as a backup option. You never know. You never know what would happen. I mean, that could be. I was trying to th- think about this. I was asking Eric and I had a long conversation. Like, if you get into the NFL season and a quarterback gets COVID nineteen, you know that is. Uh, there's no other sport where one player getting it, maybe LeBron, you know, the Lakers, right. But like, that's such a small case uh, where that would just torpedo a team. But if you have, and there, this is maybe the first year where there have been serviceable backups available. I mean, the saints with Jameis Winston, if you have a guy that is actually a mid tier starter that you can bring in, 
that is a massive advantage to your team. So um, I don't think that should be overlooked. Uh, I want to move on from Dak, but just your gut right now, it's a, it's what a four year extension for Dak and it gets signed. That's where you'd put your money. I think four or five year deal. Um, yeah. And I, I think if I was to, if I was the same one way or the other, I would say it gets done, but is it, do I feel super confident in that? No, I, w- I wouldn't say it's 90, 10. I wouldn't say it's 80, 20, probably not even 70, 30. Um, it, it's all a pretty fluid situation. And again, the play by play is something that isn't being produced really publicly. So I uh, don't know top with confidence exactly how the scenes play out, but I would think given everything that's going on uh, surrounding the situation um, and knowing how much Dak Prescott wants to be part of this organization long-term, um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, and it's more likely than not that this contract gets done by July 15th. Yeah, prob- probably easier to keep those things under the covers, you know, given the current climate. Um, there's so many other interesting things though, going on with the Cowboys. What's the non dac story that you think is kind of the, the most important has the biggest bearing, uh, you know, maybe five, six months from now, and we're looking at how successful the Cowboys have been. I think yeah, there really are a few question marks on offense. I mean, you could talk about how they're less dynamic at a 12 personnel uh, this year than they were a year ago. You know, their tight ends last year, uh, you know, were Jason Witten and Blake Jarwin. Now it's, you know, Blake Bell and Jake Jarwin. Uh, and so there's, there's an obvious drop off there. Um, and you talk about the, the center position being a question mark with Travis Frederick's retirement um, yeah, and the interior line, including the left guard uh, needing to, to work itself out. But all that said, I think I'll be looking at the defense, uh, which needs to produce more turnovers, uh, which has a new scheme under Mike Nolan uh, as a very young cornerback group that needs to come and to come together. Uh, you know, you got Chido Ouzie, quarterback, who likely be moving to safety. Uh, communication is so important on the back end of the defense. You got a lot of new guys, a lot of young guys who aren't getting those reps right now in the spring to come together. And I think that is going to be a challenge uh, for that group to come together. Um, you know, what does defensive end look like? You know, has Alden Smith been reinstated? Probably. Has Gregory been reinstated? Probably. But what do those two look like? It's been a long time since we've seen either of them, in particular, of course, Alden Smith. So um, special teams has to get better. Uh, John Fossil, the, the new special teams coordinator via the Los Angeles Rams, he was brought in to help achieve that. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, need for improvement that goes beyond simple coaching. Uh, there's some real personal personnel inadequacies that were exposed over the entirety of last season. When people asked, well, why were the Cowboys with all this talent on offense, uh, you know, some pieces on defense, why were they, you know, a, a middling team that never could get over the hump and, and didn't make the postseason despite a weak NFC East? Special teams was a huge part of that conversation. So um, offense is, is what we talk about. We talk about Dak Prescott. We talk about CeeDee Lamb. We talk about Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. We talk about all these guys, and rightfully so. Uh, that's where the investment on this roster is. But in terms of what we'll actually be talking about critically and with the areas of this roster that really need to improve for this Cowboys season to be different than the last Cowboys season, it's defense, it's special teams. That, that that's fascinating. You say that because I the, the McCarthy quote you know that came out about how we're going to have to outscore teams. You go, oh, they've got a lot of talent on defense, but then 
you mentioned all those different things, you know, the communication, the new scheme, the fact that no one's able to get on a football field together right now. And you go, oh, man, maybe we're going to see something that looks more like the Kansas City Chiefs from a couple of years ago where they were trying. They had to outscore teams to win games. Uh, then we will maybe the more traditional balanced, you know, that Dallas teams that we've seen in the past when they've had success. Um, the, the special teams, Eric, you've been harping on that. Uh, and the Cowboys being so bad with special teams last year, you were all about that. Yeah, I, John, you know, Fossil is is one of the best coordinators in the league, you know, in terms of looking at, you know, where the Rams have ranked uh, on special teams over the course of the last four or five, six years. Uh, that, to me, is a, a terrific hire. I, I think it, it's one of the reasons the Rams might, you know, be low-key really bad this year, uh, you know, beneath what people think. But it's a very good get for, uh, you know, Dallas. I'm not sure about Mike Nolan. I mean, Nolan. Uh, you know, George, you're a 49ers fan. Uh, you, you have uh, fond memories of Mike Nolan, but the, the, but, you know, having him come over, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, help out, you know, the defense, you know, defense is tricky year to year because I think Byron Jones, you know, losing him is, is tough. Trayvon Diggs is possibly a good replacement, but uh, I, I do agree with McCarthy that if they want to, you know, sustainably win football games, they have to score. And a lot of that is scoring is being better in the red zone, being better in the kicking game, uh, you know, and, you know, and, and not getting unlucky. I mean, Dak getting injured, you know, right before the last Philadelphia game is something that people, you know, forget about, but it's a, uh, it was a huge part of them not winning the division. Yeah. Trayvon Diggs is probably real quick. The rookie in the NFL, the NFL rookie who has maybe the best situation right now where he is bunked up with his brother, Stefan Diggs, Buffalo Bills wide receiver, of course, bunked up in Florida, and just the ability to go against your brother every single day and talk releases, talk leverages, talk other aspects of route running intricacies. This is a bit of a camp for becoming an NFL, you know, top caliber type of cornerback. And obviously, uh, you know, these guys have talked uh, football plenty over the course of the past years. They've looked at film together. I mean, uh, very much a, a fatherly relationship that Stefan has with new Cowboys rookie Trayvon Diggs. Uh, but that, that you know, as well as anybody, uh, he's, he's pretty well situated here during all of, all of this, uh, you know, shut down across the NFL. Yeah, that, that's such a good point, man. The, the, dis, the difference in how this pandemic has created, you know, it's it stretched the difference in people's lives, right? If you have a situation that you can take advantage uh, advantage of, it's exacerbated that and the other way as well, right? If there are guys out there that don't have, like me, for example, access to nice gym equipment, uh, I'm here, you know, doing random stuff and uh, guys that have a situation where they can take advantage of another NFL player that they're quarantining with. Uh, I didn't even think of that. That's, That makes so much sense. Yeah, it's no different than what is happening from a child education standpoint in this country where economical divide uh, between certain neighborhoods, between certain students has been exacerbated by, you know, what is your in-home learning infrastructure right now? If you're someone from an affluent neighborhood, you know, you're having these video calls, you're having these conversations with your teachers, you're having this. Meanwhile, if you're a child who doesn't have that technology at home, who is reliant on public food, public foods, uh, programs, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're unstable from a food standpoint. I mean, everything is just more challenging. And then there's this divide that happens, 
Um, it's a crisis and obviously that goes beyond sports, but I like to look at when does something that's happening in sports reveal uh, what's a bit shine a light into what's happening outside of sport. It happens all the time uh, between social issues or, or, you know, aspects of society. And so I think this is, this is one of those. Do you think, I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, do you think, so taking what we know about, education which is one of the biggest one of the biggest reasons for inequity isn't what happens in the classroom it's what happens between june and august right and now it's march through august do we think so going into the the 2020 nfl season or even just in a general off season is the biggest is the biggest difference in coaching not necessarily seen like you know you think about Jason Garrett, you know, sometimes he was, you know, a huge boob on the field. Right. But like those teams won, uh, you know, more games than they lost, you know, is, is what's happening in between a stability from February to August, you know, February to July in an NFL team. Is that more important necessarily than what happens on the field when you were trying to evaluate a coach or, or a program infrastructure? It could be if, if I were saying, right. Um, the teams with new head coaches, it's, it sure is a great offseason to have stability on your coaching staff. Yeah. Uh, if you're Bill Belichick and you're going through this as an organization, you're well, you're better positioned to handle all of this because of the infrastructure in place. And so I think it will be interesting and we'll see what this season looks like. I mean, we always talk about how after the NFL schedule comes out, you have your predictions or all these beat reporters sign predictions to their team. They've got them all up. It's up there above 500. Everyone's optimistic overall about how their team's going to going to play. This year is unique because every, every schedule prediction where the wins and losses add up to 16 is an inherently optimistic prediction. Uh, we don't know this year is going to look like um, if we get the type of year that will allow us this data, I think it'll be interesting to review how did the new head coach run organizations do compared to others with a little bit more, you know, just stability and how does that compare to prior seasons? I think that'd be, that would be a phenomenal study if they have the opportunity. Well, it, you guys, you know, actually Eric and I were both, uh, you know, teachers and, um, you know, I, I taught in, um, I did teach for America. And so I saw exactly what you guys were just talking about. And it, it brings up a really interesting point as well, which is not just the coaching, but the ownership structure and what, you know, what state is that team in? Like those things are going to contribute, I think as well, where it's like, okay, if this team has their, their stuff together, you know, and, and I think of the Cowboys as being kind of the top of that list, right? They have this great infrastructure. They've got an owner that is w- well equipped to do anything that needs to be done. And then you could go look at teams on the other side of that, which might be the Chargers, which might be, you know, the Chargers might be the one that really comes to mind because they're in California, a state that is has been way more rigorous. They have way less of that resource. And will that be something that ends up shining a light on which organizations are more successful next year. Just the ability to put an environment around the team to, yeah. to get together. Oh, so here, here's a question. So speaking of the Cowboys infrastructure, um, we we've been having these, uh, you know, uh, cocktail happy hours uh, at PFF <laughs> and we got what amounted to an amazing story by our boss, Chris Collinsworth about Jerry Jones uh, and his yacht. And 
And that got us to think, what's your best or favorite Jerry Jones story so far? So far being the key phrase, because I started covering the Cowboys in late August of last year. And so this was uh, aimed to be the first full off season where I would cover the Cowboys. And, you know, you, uh, you know, certainly training camp, there probably were going to be some, and still could be some Jerry Jones stories to come. Um, thus far, I lack the goods, I think, in this department. But um, I do. You know, one thing that does come to mind is, is something that's uh, different than other teams that I've covered. Where I, I covered the Chargers for seven years in San Diego before their relocation. I covered the Raiders for two and a half years, um, stopping a few months before their move. Is uh, just the vast resources and, and 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 everything that he pours into the organization, Jerry Jones. And so at the combine. After um, the NFL NFL agents discussed the uh, collective bargain agreement proposal, uh, Jerry Jones invites all the beat writers onto this Cowboys bus. This yes. <laughs> multi-wheeler thing. And it's, um, you know, it goes on for two hours and he opens it by just talking about CBA very bluntly, very forthcomingly. Uh, was very open about the particulars and then pivots to talking about the roster. And again, like a, a two hour session that is highly unusual. You don't see that uh, I feel with the 31 other clubs. And so um, it's just different here. It's different where Jerry Jones, you know, he's involved in meetings. He's involved in the zoom calls for the draft with players uh, he's involved in, in just about every aspect of this organization, and he needs to be because he pushes the Cowboys brand. He's on the radio multiple times a week after games, and, and obviously this is going to change this year uh, if there is post-game locker room. Uh, you know, he talks to reporters, and there's if you see a photo of us, there's about 30 men and women just herded around him uh, asking questions, and uh, this is right before the locker room opens. And then when locker room opens, some of us peter out. And then other – Jerry just keeps going. He keeps talking for about 20, 25 minutes. And so uh, just the, the scope of his visibility, uh, I, I think, reflects the visibility that this franchise has come to have over, over the course of, of decades. The, the cool thing, and is another thing that we talk about a lot, is like caring matters. And certainly people can catch flack for caring a lot. But you'd rather have someone care than not. And like that yeah. can go a long way. I think that's the thing that really stuck out to me there. I got to ask you, though, because I've seen uh, we've seen the outside of this bus parked in front of Prime 47 in Indy uh, every single night of the combine. Give me give me some glimpse inside. Like, what's the coolest thing in there? What does it remind you of? Is it like his yacht? What What's inside the bus? It's a nice bus, but it's also an RV. Like, it's very much... You don't walk in there and feel like it's um, like you're in not the- a school bus. <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know it's a it's an RV. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I missed out on on the decadence of it all. I didn't proper, properly process it when I was first aboard. Uh, it was my first bus ride after all. I mean, it was a, truly a ride. We just boarded it and then we boarded it. All. I mean, I'm boarded when it was over. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I wish I could tell you there was something especially memorable. I mean, there were probably stars everywhere, which is to be expected. Yeah, that's all I got for you. 
I, I'll go with I'll go with stars everywhere. I, I'm envisioning the like kids, um, uh, you know, room where they've got like the constellations, like glow stars on the top. <laughs> go like that, but with diamonds, maybe. What? So th- this is this is I would say one of the more storied franchises in the history of pro sports. What? And you like you said, you started covering them, you know, late in uh, the off season, or actually, you know, training camp last year. If you were allowed to cover one other Dallas Cowboys season, which one would it be retroactively? Boy. Um, so when I was making the drive in August from Bay Area, California to North Texas uh, after upon taking this job, um, I felt stressed because there was so much history covered, uh, with the Cowboys organization. And although – I had a passing knowledge of, you know, the teams in the nineties and some of the great teams before I didn't have anywhere near the type of institutional knowledge that others on the beat naturally would have and that fans themselves would have. And so I, um, I, I, I got an audio book of, I guess boys will be boys. It's, it's yeah. tales of Cowboys teams from like the nineties and uh, hearing about, the White House, hearing about Michael Irvin, scissors uh, in a barbershop. And I don't know if it's the team I, I most want to cover or least want to cover. Uh, kind of mixed feelings. Uh, but I think uh, the team that I, I most wanted to cover, because I think it was just very much the height of the recent organization's, you know, rise. Um, so um, I, I would probably say that would be the, that would be the season. If, you know, take, take your pick on which one. Uh, give me the Dion one. Uh, but uh, uh, that, yeah. that's very, very uh, – that would have been a very interesting team to cover. That's the right answer. That's there. such a, I mean, the, yeah, the transition from Jimmy Johnson to Barry Switzer, the Deion Sanders, the Jerry Jones being sponsored by Nike when the league wouldn't let him. I, 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 I think the Dallas Cowboys are fascinating. I mean, all the way, you know, and uh, I'm glad that they continue to be so. There is a, I forget who posted this, but it was a Deion Sanders, Jerry Jones commercial. Yeah. It's like a it's like a pizza commercial or something like that. And I can't imagine an owner and a and a star player being in a commercial today. Like it's just it was a good commercial. It was funny too. It, it was uh a different time back then. You I have to ask you this. So I'm a California guy. Uh I was born and raised in the Bay Area, lived uh, I went to school and lived in Southern California. You've worked in both places. Power rank Northern California and Southern California. It's tough because there are subcategories, you know, Mexican food. I would take without a doubt, you know, San Diego, which is where I'm from. I I would take San Diego over Oakland or San Francisco. Not that there aren't some gems to be found, but I I will not argue this. Uh, That's fair. Whether I would probably say San Diego, Southern California as well. Uh, You know, Bay area is, is very cool all year long, it's, 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 you'll, you'll need a jacket. Whereas in San Diego, uh, certainly, uh, you know, you really can't complain about the uh, shirts optional possibly. Yeah. It's about as good as it possibly gets. Um, I think I, I like the, the speed of the Bay area better, um, where there's a lot of industry, a lot of opportunity there, a cost of living, uh, you can give to Southern, Southern California, give to San Diego specifically. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that the, the pace of the Bay area, I really enjoyed where there's just all these different 
start uh, startup companies. There's that, there, that entrepreneurial spirit. And then there's these tech giants that are all there. And it, it, it's fun to be a part of that. And so I really, I love San Diego when it is home, but um, you know, I, I couldn't think of a place that would feel more like home to transition out of San Diego than the Bay area where my sister lived. I went to college at UC Davis. A lot of college friends were there. Um, I have no, no negative things to say about the Bay area. Cost of living. Yeah. The, the cost of living is, is a lot. I, um, I would power rank it very similarly. All the things you mentioned are correct. What has stuck out to me of, of late is I used to always think the Bay area's food scene was so much better with the exception basically of Mexican food, which is, it was just up there in importance, but it has, it has started to even out in a way that I now think Southern California, San Diego has gotten a lot more good places. Los Angeles has had this huge restaurant boom. When you combine the weather, the cost of living, and now the food, I have a really hard time uh, putting the Bay area uh, anywhere near my, near my most uh, desired place to live. But you, you bring some good perspective there. It's important to remember there are good things, but other places than Southern California, right, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Southern California. I've never been to the Bay Area, so that's uh, that's that's a uh, bucket list. Maybe uh, neither can hold a candle to Cincinnati, really. No, is, no, is what we're for sure. At. Or or you know, rural <laughs> Wisconsin, where I'm currently at. <laughs> Um, Michael, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, can you tell us, uh, pimp some of the stuff you're working on right now and where everyone can go, uh, find and read all of your good stuff? Golly, I'm not working on as many things as I would like. Uh, there's a lot of attempts to make things work. Uh, you know, trying to do different profiles and different rookies, trying to do other aspects of just covering the situation as it stands. But it's a time where not a lot of people want to be out in the forefront talking about, those things. And so, um, I'm definitely, you know, every day is going to be a product of my, my, my true drive to create content year round. And I'm actually quite proud of of the work that we're doing at the Dallas morning news, where our our website is, is being continually populated, uh, which is a challenge again, for those reasons. Um, I just did a mother's day story on, on Trayvon Diggs. Um, his, his mom, Stephanie, you know, mother of five, uh, Trayvon was, was 10 years old when father died and just uh, how they, uh, took on the challenge of, you know, not always having the mom around cause she was doing these 18 hour shifts and sometimes it'd be extended uh, overnight and you know, she'd be in a hotel room because of being snowed in or what have you. Um, you know, they're eating syrup sandwiches, uh, which is just exactly what it sounds like with, bunch of syrup soaked into it. And that was what they would use to hold them over until mom got home and she called Man. 11 PM. Hey, you guys want some McDonald's? I can come by and fix them. So they had, it was, um, you know, I was joking with her. Like, how did you come to have two NFL athletes come out of a home where it was, it was syrup sandwiches and, and McDonald's <laughs> at 1130 PM. And she joked, you know, she laughed at me. Now what we had every night. Uh, but that was kind of a, a little taste of what their, their life was like, um, and just how they struggled and pushed through. So those are the type of stories that are out there, uh, especially after a draft, there's a lot of opportunity to help people get to know about these guys, their road to the NFL. Um, so that's, that's my focus uh, as well as other aspects of this organization of this team as it works its way through and obviously, uh, extremely unusual and, and difficult time. Uh, Trayvon Diggs, one of our darlings, uh, Great pick and the ability to go read more about and learn more about what these guys are like 
as human beings is awesome. That's one of the things we can get out, you know, try and make in the most out of this time, going out and learning about uh, the other aspects of life that normally during the rat race, we just don't get to. So um, that was a fantastic piece. Everyone listening should go check it out. Um, Michael, thank you for hanging out with us and uh, stay safe over there. Give the puppy some good love and, uh, and keep it going, man. Thanks, brother. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News. Guy is a rock star. Um, and uh, obviously, as you can tell, I mean, he went from Chargers to Raiders to Cowboys. That's a pretty steep ascent. <laughs> was uh, Raider. Yeah, that, that, that's um, it, it was really interesting. You know, a lot of the things that he was saying uh, about Dak, we I, have we given the team too much power in our discussions? I think so. I, I, I think it so. sounds that, like it. That was what that was my really sal- salient takeaway from what he said on the Dak discussion was this is Dak like this. Ha-. And it, to me, this is why the Cowboys biggest failing last offseason was not saying, Hey, come hell or high water. We're coming out of this offseason with Dak. Now I don't know if Dak is just so shrewd that he said, actually, no, like there's no way that I'm signing a deal that is anything less than everything I want because I can see where things are going. Um, which would, I mean, which would be really cool. I doubt that's how it happened. I feel like it was probably more luck, but it seems to me like the Cowboys just really missed out on signing him last off season. Yeah. Well, and, and to be fair, he, he improved drastically, right? There was a, there was a significant narrative that he was going downward, uh, at the time. Um, and you know, we, we joked, he was the DAC up quarterback. I, the the information was it was less complete than it is now mm-hmm. um and you know i'm still a little bit nervous if i'm dallas about giving him that big of a contract which is why i think they're balking at it um but it's interesting to know that that's that you know the feeling is uh that it's it's dak's world and we're all living in it that's that, that's what i came away with from the other thing that i thought was really interesting um was the the defensive side of things and we're going to talk about some props here in a second, but it, it seems increasingly the case that this is going to be a team driven by offense and a lot of it. And Mike McCarthy, if you read into any of the things about him becoming more progressive and you look at what the Cowboys were last year, which was Kellen Moore taking advantage of play action, a lot more throwing on second and long, which is one of the big inefficiencies in the NFL. Like this, this team should be scoring a lot of points. There should be a lot of, of overs hit. There should be a lot of passing yards to be had. Um, those would be kind of some of the things that, I, you know, I think maybe we were keen on, but maybe not as keen on as we should have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I thought that the interesting thing that he brought up was John Fossil or mm-hmm. was it Jim? Fo- no, Jim Fossil's Jim, his dad. Jimmy. John Fossil's the, the the special teams coordinator because we've been harping on that as a source of bad luck slash bad process for them, uh, and it's very and and it just shows that the lengths to which Dallas will go. We we talked about you know with the Los Angeles Rams, you know when McVay took over, he signed a bunch of players like Robert Woods, he got you know uh, Wade Phillips, and he and he kept Fossil, who was the interim coach. 
when when um, uh, Jeff Fisher was was canned, and they were sort of doing what it took. And I think like McCarthy, in some sense, with the more uh, fossil, I, I'm not sold on Mike Nolan, but let's you know, like he's kind of kind of taking what it or doing what it takes. Which uh, I think if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, has to leave you optimistic. Uh, maybe not for this. Well, who, who knows about this season? But like long term, that that's a good process for them. Oh, that that makes a ton of sense. Um, John Fossil, the point about the Rams suffering from losing John Fossil was just another great um, reminder that the Rams, man, the Rams are going like, to suck. Oh, the Rams it, season so win total. Crazy how I have, short. I have like basically the most I'll ever bet on anything on the Rams under nine wins. Which is what's the what's the the juice on that? Right. Well, no, was, so I got it early in the off season. I think the juice was like minus. I ended up with like minus one fifteen, uh, maybe minus, and now it's eight flat. I was on with uh, you know Evan Sylvan and uh, Adam uh, or uh, wow. Evan Sylvan, Adam Levitin, and it was eight. And I still would take under eight, um, but I would not. You know, obviously, that you know, I, I, I when I saw them hanging nine on that team, I, I just couldn't believe it when I saw it. I the 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 loss of a ton of defensive players, the loss of Wade Phillips, the loss of Fossil, and I think Zerline left too, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, the the kicker. I, if your quarterback's Jared Goff, you need good special teams. You need good defense. And, and uh, in that division, like they're, I, it'd be interesting. I, I want to see what the prop is on them finishing last place in the division, but I think it'd be plus price and I think it'd be a good bet. Um, let's talk, uh, you know, we didn't have the full Monday night football discussion, which, okay. which I just want to circle back to real quick. Pat McAfee, is plus 300. That means there's a chance. We're saying there are people who don't like Pat McAfee, but he is terrific. Of course. There are people that don't like Lewis Riddick and Dan Orlovsky. There are people well. who don't like Chris, who's the best in the business, right? I mean, but the, the Pat McAfee was making temple versus uh, Toledo games on like Thursday nights. seem <laughs> exciting. And, you know, he's really good. What's really fun about him is he, you know, we talked about when the XFL was like putting in the gambling stuff, you know, and, um, (laughs) and it was like Steve Levy was like, and look, the under is a lock now, you know, it's like third (laughs) quarter and there's only like seven points on the board. And it's like, that's not really like, whereas, it's just not what people care like to listen to, but like McAfee, there was a game where, um, Temple was like minus six and a half. And the only reason I knew it because I bet Temple and they were up 10 with like four minutes left and there was a rain delay. And McAfee during the rain delay is going on and on and on about what this means. And he, it, but he did it in such a clever way that he didn't mention gambling. But, but anybody who had money on the game knew exactly that that was what he was referring to. And of course, the game restarts and the the team against Temple, I can't remember who it was, got through the back door, lost by three, got the ball back, and and Temple gets a fumble return on the last play of the game for a touchdown. And McAfee's going crazy with, but the whole time not discussing that it's like he didn't so, mention the bets at all. I mean, he's he's really smart. I, I I would say that he would be. I would think 
in terms of replacing Booger, he'd be somebody who, from an entertainment perspective, that I would go with, and he would be, I think, far sharper at like talking about the game. Here, here's the thing: you brought up two great points. The first is what you are looking for in a play-by-play guy and a color guy is some entertainment, some added entertainment value. And Lewis Riddick and Dan Orlovsky are going to, to the average fans, sound like they know a lot about football, and that's great. But no one is tuning in to hear their football analysis. If you're going to make the game elevated a little bit, bring someone that brings some entertainment, and that's McAfee. And then the second point, which I think the bigger one, is the second you make something legal, you know, and gambling's like, hey, go talk about gambling. It's not cool anymore. What's cool is Al Michaels referencing it in a way that is <laughs> funny. That's what's cool. So if the NFL or sad, but yes, entertaining nonetheless. It's entertaining. Now, yeah. yes, it's sad for some of us uh, <laughs> in certain situations. But the NFL may have lucked into the situation where they have still have this kibosh on referencing gambling overtly, which they should keep, but they should give a little push, a little bump to people that are going to talk about it in funny ways. That is what is entertaining. It's not entertaining for some guy to be moaning and whining about the over, the under, or the spread, or all well, this or stuff. Or just like through- earmarking it, like, hey, uh, here he schedule here it pops up on my google calendar during the game right. talk gambling right like no, that's not exactly. really what we want but what we want is somebody like pat who's got a g on the game and when he's got like a thousand dollars on over 46 and a team drives all the way down to the one yard line and kicks a field goal we want him on tilt that's what we want during a game right yep it'd be great you know, I, I really i'm i was excited to see that he was um plus 300 because that means there's a chance and if you uh, had if you had him so here's the thing here's and i i think lewis riddick's really smart i think you know he's got a ton of experience with the right people i think he's a little bit too serious you know like he's very direct he's very like he he's very matter of fact in the booth takes himself generally plays well seriously yeah yes that was what the way i wanted you know and in a course of like, if you're watching seven college football games from like Thursday to Saturday night, he's fine because he's, you know, you get your McAfee one time, you get your Ross Tucker the other time, you get your Lewis Riddick, and it's kind of a nice diverse group. If it's Monday night football, like I need to, and I need to put like, uh, I need to put somebody next to him that is more like Pat McAfee. Yeah. Right. That will, that will sort of yin yang with him. than I That's do brilliant Dan Orvlosky, who I don't actually think like my issue with Dan Orvlosky is I think he tries to take himself seriously, but tries to be goofy and isn't really good at either. And, and it's just like kind of a mess. And, you know, it's fine when he's like announcing UConn football on like Friday night, but it's not like to me, Monday well, night football is you, you can't screw this up. And if you go Riddick, and McAfee, I, I'm sold. It, Brilliant. It, it, especially if the play-by-play well, person it, lets the thing breathe. I Yeah. Orlovsky is trying to be Lewis Riddick. Like, th- that's yeah. like he, you know, and you don't want, you want different personalities. You want I, Bruce Gradkowski in that case. Yes. I, <laughs> I don't think, so I don't think a three-man booth works very well, to be honest with you. Right. But Chris has said going, as much to us. Yeah, but if you're going to do one, have it be guys that are different. So Chris mentioned it. It was really interesting. He was like, the reason it was tough was 
I've got Troy and I've got me and the producer's like, okay, Troy, you take this one. And so he's talking to Troy and there's no conversation amongst all parties involved. It's very like kind of cut off. But if you said, Hey, McAfee, you're not going to be doing like serious replays and you're, you're here to do something different than Lou is, then those conversations can be all interwoven because you don't need to like ignore one person to talk to the other. And I, so I think it could work if you had a play-by-play guy who was really good at what he did and knew this dynamic well, um, I think it could work. That, that would be ideal. You've stumbled upon the ideal situation. Good job by you. Um, okay, let's do, we're going to do a couple of things quickly here before... Uh, we peace out. The first is some MVP odds, some quick reaction to that. And then I want to talk about a little Lamar Jackson. So per Caesar's palace, Mahomes plus 400, the Lamar real Jackson, Caesar's palace or just a real one. I had to mention it, uh, which is currently empty. It's only Caesar in there. He's quarantining by himself. Uh, Lamar Jackson is plus 650. Dak Prescott is nine to one. Russell Wilson is 12 to one. Tom Brady, 16 and Kyler Murray, 16 to one. Drew Brees, 20 to 1. Aaron Rodgers, 25 to 1. Deshaun Watson, 28 to 1. Of that group, uh, which one is most appealing to you? The two worst bets are Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. Yes. But, right? Like Without Lamar's getting the boost from being the previous one. Kyler Murray at 16 to 1 is just way too heavy. I will, if I get odds of 10 to 1 or more, I will bet Russell Wilson to win the MVP every single season until he retires. So that's the best bet. I, I thought I thought that was going to be uh, the one that you like the most. And I also think, I think Dak at 9 to 1 is also a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Because if they have an amazing season, yeah, he could put up some very good stats, but there's so much around it that also contributes, right? Like he has three great receivers. Mike McCarthy comes in like I, Mike McCarthy is going to win coach of the year before Dak Prescott wins MVP. Yeah. But uh, do you, I don't think like the last time a non quarterback won the MVP was 2012. Sure. It hasn't been anybody, but a quarterback or a running back for like what, two decades. And right. I, I'm not saying that, that, if I'm just saying that they could have a great season and he still wouldn't get enough MVP pub because there's the other factors on that team that are important. But I, do you think, do you think that that's real though? Because like Lamar Jackson, you can make the exact same argument for. And, and I think Patrick no, Mahomes not in the in public's 20- eye, not in the public's eye. Look, so, what so you think the pub, do you think the public is just lower on Dak than everybody else? Oh, absolutely. I mean, okay. Lamar Jackson's numbers. So the reason we have a different view, we see running the football as a team thing. The public doesn't. The public thinks that when Lamar Jackson runs the ball, it's one on 11. Yeah, no, no. I don't judge. My my thing is, is my thing is agreeing with you and disagreeing with you at the same time. Dallas skill. My thing is, is if Dallas wins the, if Dallas wins 13 games, I think that Dak will get a significant boost in probability of winning the MVP. Um, and if they win 13 games, it's not going to be because of any, it, it's going to be because Dak has leveraged all the weapons around him and not because of Zeke. Like I think I, Zeke is somebody who I think the public's silly, you know, we you know, gave a ton of credit to early, but I think mm-hmm. he, they're souring on him a little bit. And 
you know, I, so I don't know. Nine to one to me doesn't seem heavy enough. Um, which is why I always prefer Wilson at 12, but yeah. Okay. The one that, um, that sticks out to me in addition to Russell Wilson is Drew Brees at 20 to one. And, um, this, he has been so close. Obviously Mahomes had a year of all years and there is, I think Tom Brady suffers from this a little bit, which is like, I'm kind of tired of Tom Brady, but everyone is in love with Drew Brees. Um, to me, Drew Brees at 20 to one and Russell Wilson at 12 to one would be the two that, uh, that stick yeah. out to me. Brees is not, has yet to win one. Um, right. and I think that there might be some bias towards first timers. Uh, mm-hmm. if they're not like the, you know, the, the seven timers like Brady and you know Manning and Barve and stuff. So, that's a good one. The I'm a little lower on the Saints, though. I here's here's a question that that, that you know might might be a terrible transition to what we're about to talk about, but a good one. I think the Saints. You got are somewhere to, to go? Be, <laughs> no, but I, I think I think the Saints lean into Camara as a player this season, and Ew. and. Yes. And I think it's going to be a frustrating, uh, a frustrating affair for people. Okay. I'm curious. Why do you think that? Cause I have a reason why they would do the opposite. Well, I think that, I think that they're going to let him go in free agency and I think they're going to try to get the most out of him before letting him go. And I also think that they, they look at what happened a season ago and said, well, you know, we were successful offensively, but in the playoffs, we couldn't get anything done and we couldn't get anything done because breeze, you know, asking breeze to throw too much is, is, is not a good thing. Uh, and you know, the league tends to try to yo-yo back towards the run and when things go wrong and, I think, I think they, I think that they're going to try to, and Kamara is going to be healthy, right. For the first time in mm-hmm. you know two years and stuff, I think they're going to lean into him a little bit, which is uh, not good for breeze, I guess. And his MVP uh, sort of push. Okay. Okay. I, I think that's a, that's a great reasoning. Here would be my counterpoint to that is that Kamara was hurt last year and and I, to me, they're going, okay, look, we got to win a Super Bowl this year. And if, we get, if we're going to do that, we've got to have our aces healthy down the stretch. Now, the Breeze one is at the forefront, right? But you go down the road and you go, okay, well, Kamara also, and I've just pronounced his name two completely different ways in back-to-back sentences, fair, fair. Is, is also important to us because of his receiving capability, because we, we need to leverage him in addition to Michael Thomas as a weapon for teams to be worried about. So where it leaves me is actually what they're going to do is there is Taysom Hill is going to be out there a lot. Now this has the same impact. I can't do this. This has the same impact uh, on the team of what you just described, which is less breeze throwing, but I could see it being not more carries for Kamara, but being way more run for Taysom Hill offensive weapon. Which I was on would be incredible. Was, Matt, our buddy Matt, booked me on a fantasy football show in New Orleans yesterday, and so I'm sitting Shout here trying to, to answer. Matt I, I know, and I'm trying, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to decide, trying to tell them why Taysom Hill is not going to score eight touchdowns again next year. <laughs> now you're telling me he's going to be the bell cow. 
I mean, <laughs> I brought up Mike Sellers. Me. Mike it Sellers one year had, had 12 catches and seven touchdowns for the Redskins. And my, you know, my, my friend, Mark Bowrichter had 20 catches and eight touchdowns one year. Taysom Hill last year had 22 catches, no 22 targets and six touchdowns. And I'm like, that just doesn't like, not, it's not going to happen again. Like that's just, you know, either they're going to give them a ton more play, which you think they're going to do, which the dollars and cents the dollars say do, they will. They, yeah. Or they could just make him into Matthew Slater um, or, uh, you know, or he'll just regress. But I think you're going to see a little bit of both. I do think he'll get a decent amount of run as a receiver, tight end, running back, uh, but he won't be that productive. And, you know, the end result will be what, you know, we both think. So the the ace in the hole that I think they have is a phantom Drew Brees injury where he doesn't actually get injured, but Jameis Winston comes in and plays three to four games. And that helps Drew Brees. I'm here a little I'm here bit for it, man. Like, here, I, here's, I, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Here's what, here's what I'll say. And again, like we think of it here and, and the 2019 season's a bit of an aberration, but I'm going to go, I'm going to just going to go with it anyway. Here's Drew Brees' attempts per season, 2016, 2070, uh, 673, 2017, 536. 2018, 489. And then last season, 378. Probably actually an uptick per game. You know, actually clearly an uptick per game. But, you know, the, the, the evolution of that offense has been towards passing less. The sacks he's taken per season, 27, 20, 17, and then 12. (laughs) So, you know, it's an interesting situation for them, but I do think that they've been sneakily leaning off Breeze a little bit. You've, you've moved me significantly off. I still think 20 to one is decent given no, that 21 is, is a good bet. And given and that Kyler thing, Murray is 16 to one. <laughs> well, and Tannehill made the pro bowl last year, with 270 something attempts. Like, you know, right. we're, we're, we're smart enough. where like efficiency matters to us as a, as a, uh, a league body now, but I do think he's not going to throw 50 touchdowns this year. Like it's just no. not going to happen. So it, when he's competing with guys like Mahomes and you know, Watts, uh, Watson and, and uh, you know, Lamar with the 40 something touchdowns, like that's, it's going to be harder for him to win uh, the MVP well, with, with speaking, those kind of statistics. Speaking of a team that's going to lean into the run, your chiefs are going to, and that's going to hurt Mahomes, of course, and his four to one. Uh, chances to win the MVP. Yeah, Mahomes uh, at four to one's a bad bet. As much as as much as he's the best player in the NFL, it's not. As much as he's awesome. <laughs> okay, but let's talk. Let's talk Lamar, and let's talk the Ravens here. And let, let's start with the Ravens win total at eleven and a half. So Lamar is is, is plus six fifty to win the MVP. Um, he is not a, a player that either of us are going to bet on to win the MVP, despite. Uh, I mean, I love Lamar Jackson, right? But some of the reasons why the Ravens win total 11 and a half are, is interesting is how that team is constructed and the different things that, that went right for them that unlike, say, the Kansas City Chiefs are not as reproducible as quickly. And so their, their win totals 11 and a half. Our simulation has them winning a full game under that. Um, are you buying into it? Yeah, there's so many things that have to go right to win 12 games in the NFL. Um, and I, I, you know, that's why almost every single 
win total that's uh you know the, the only way that you've gone broke betting under win totals like that is if you've bet the patriots and there's room there's certainly room to suggest that the ravens could be a sort of a new patriots um but I think there's so much uncertainty with associated with Lamar Jackson. Almost all of it is left tail at this point, mm-hmm. you know? It, it, so, and they go 11 and five. We're perfectly happy. They're probably win the AFC North and you go under that bat, right? Um, there, uh, there's a ton of situations where um, this is, this is a significant decline for them. Um, you know, from a, an outcome perspective, if not a fundamental one. And, you know, so I, I really do like, the under here, I think Timo did a good job of uh, explaining the reasoning and, um, you know, not to say we're not, you know, the, the hard part about this is we're not rooting for them to go under. We're just saying that, you know, if you're, if you're a betting person over is not the right play. And in fact, unders probably, you know, has a decent amount of edge. Yeah. The, the, what, what you said that's key is the Ravens can be good again and win 11 games and have a successful season. And that tells you why under 11 and a half is a smart bet. Because when you say to yourself, yeah, a really successful season means that they don't cash this bet, then you're probably onto something. And here are the things with the Ravens that uh, are, are important to think about. The first is so much of their success was, um, you know, obviously driven off of the, the run game. They had the most efficient run game by a mile. And we know that that's not as dependent on one player as say the passing game is. It's dependent on a lot of players doing their job well. Now, Lamar Jackson is special, absolutely. But that needs to be taken into consideration. And we'll talk about his rushing in a second. The other piece of this is they, they had a lot of situational components that worked really well for them. Um, they were absolutely fantastic on fourth and shorts. They, they made the decision to go for them. Yes, but they were fantastic in them as well. And a little more variance there um, could mean, like we saw against Tennessee, that they have a few more situations where early in the game, those don't go their way. And as a result, they spend more time playing from behind. They were the only team in the NFL last year, I couldn't really believe this, that ran fewer than 100 plays in the first half of games when trailing. They ran 94. The yeah. next closest was the Saints at 140, 137. So, like, the, you know, a little bit of regression there, and all of a sudden you are asking Lamar Jackson to do some things that are harder. Not that he's going to be worse, but you're asking him to do things that are harder, yeah. and and that means that they might not be quite as dominant as they were a season ago. They're not yeah. creeping up on anyone either. That, that's another yeah. important thing is people are spending their off seasons at home doing nothing, trying to figure out how to stop Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Yeah. And, and, you know, I wrote an article last week about his rushing prop, which is, you know, I think it was 999.5 and it's gone all the way down to 935. Yeah. I I checked it. So before we did the podcast, I had to check to make sure it hadn't gone down again. It is in fact still 935 and a half, which I think is actually, you know, I worked through some like hashtag math on like the reasoning for that. I do think that's probably the right number. Um, Mm -hmm. But you think about the sort of things that they're going to do offensively. They're going to run the football more with running backs, which for the Ravens is better than the average team, but for the, for the, for the Ravens, it's worse than probably throwing or running with Lamar. 
The other thing is, is he had a lot of yards before contact. How does that change when Marshall Yonda retires uh, and they don't have quite as sturdy of an offensive line in front of him? As you said, they played a lot with a lead and Lamar, interestingly, had the majority of his rushing yards on scrambles with the lead. And I think it's weird to think about that, you know, because, you know, in the playoff game, we remember him running wild when they were you know, working from behind. But I, there's dynamics when you're behind as well, where you're playing, you're basically playing the run and then you're playing man coverage on the back end. uh, And, you know, a quarterback like Lamar can really screw you with a run uh, when your DBs have their back turned. Right. And and so if they're playing more straight up games, maybe they're allowed to spy or maybe they're allowed to play zone uh, in, in front of Lamar when the game's more head up, because a score doesn't mean you go from being down seven to being down 14 all that kind of stuff. And we just see a little bit less from Lamar and we see a little bit less, uh, you know, backbreaking stuff that like took a team. When you look at like sort of the comp- composition of their games, so many times they just got out ahead of teams and like stomped on their head. I don't think that that's going to be as frequent, uh, you know, in 2020. Uh, and as such, I mean, again, 11 and five, 10 and six, is, I think is certainly likely 12 and four is not, you know, implausible, but give me the other side of that. Uh, that's a great point, and and everyone should go read uh, the article you wrote on it because that was I was fascinated by it. that shocked me, and and we have spent a lot of time talking about Lamar, but looking at how his run yardage and his efficiency, not just like quantity, but his efficiency running the ball was distributed on those key situational in those key situational uh, divides is really interesting, and nine thirty five and a half. You're right. Does feel, uh, I mean, just because it has dropped so much does feel, um, you know, uh, like a much, much saner number. Uh, Let me throw this out there. And I'm curious your thoughts on on this. Do you think there was some, some injury variance that the Ravens want to make sure they don't tap into this year? Do you like, do you think like the same thing with, with Drew Brees is, is going to play an impact here where it's like, we just mm-hmm. want to protect him a little bit more. We've seen now how valuable this guy is. Like we don't need to use him as much as we have in the past to get to the playoffs, to win this division. Like last year was that, Hey, we're here season. This year is the, look at us. we know we can make it there. Right. But like, we got to win once we get there. So we're going to do everything we can to make sure we get there. Yeah. And unlike Michael Vick in 2006, the majority of, of the rushing yards by Lamar Jackson were on designed runs. So, you know, they're not a situation where, you know, you throw a certain amount of time, you run a certain amount of time, and there's a variance because of, you know, what's a sack, what's a run. Like Lamar Jackson is purposely gaining 750 odd yards on the ground. Um, and, you know, drafting a running back as high as they did in J.K. Dobbins, um, you know, already having Mark Ingram in the fold, getting guys like Devin DuVernay um, to sort of do the, you know, the jet stuff, uh, James Prochet as well. Like, I think that they're going to transition away, a little bit away from Lamar running the football uh, on purpose. And that's, you know, that's probably going to be enough uh, for this under to, to shake out. And then not even like to come. I mean, I know he only played 15 games last year, but like, you know, 
were, you know, when you ba- when you look at these props and you bake in, you know, what you think is going to happen, I, you know, there's always like the situation. I mean, Mahomes missed two games last season with an injury. Uh, you know, Breeze missed five games. Like, there's always going to be a situation where you know you miss a game or two with injury, and it's why you know when it comes to season long props, I'm always under on them just because. You know, there, there's the, the the left tail, if you will, uh, of events where the over Uh-oh. has absolutely no shot. We made it to the tail portion of the podcast. We made it to the tail that's, portion. That's Shake your tail know. feathers on these props, bro. Um, you know, what we forgot to do on Monday that we should do now is uh, the ratings and reviews. Remember, go to uh, the uh, Apple Podcasts and give us a five star review. We did forget um, that, didn't we? And so we'll make up for it by doing two today. We won't spend a ton of time discussing them, but I'll read the questions. They're good ones to talk about and think about. Um, and then those people should hit us up uh, on Twitter. In fact, one of these is from friend of the pod podcast, Aaron Weisberg. And he says, uh, first thing he says is can't wait for the stories from the Cincy Y to come back. Uh, me too. Um, hey, one can you th- imagine? I, no, <laughs> I literally can't imagine the fact that I'm excited about stories from the Cincy Y coming back tells you everything you need to know. Um, actually, I'm really just excited for some, some freaking warm weather. Cause that would help me a lot. Yeah. Uh, wanted to get your guys thoughts on certainty and team building specifically was wondering if given the value of offense over defense, does it make more sense from a cap perspective to spend on offense to be certain the offense is good and to take chances on defense, throw stuff at the wall, low cost trade down when you're selecting defensive guys. Is that a viable uh, team building strategy? Uh, what do you think? Uh, I think he's on to something. Here's my only relent. Uh, the, the certainty along the offense is, is I think a little bit overplayed. Um, so, uh, but I would spend more on offense um, to be a little bit. I would spend more on offense to give my offense more of a shot. Um, and then I would spend money that's not subject to the cap on a defensive coordinator like Wade Phillips, Steve Spagnolo, um, Mike Zimmer. Would you, once he would you just pay an job. inordinate amount of money to have multiple defensive coordinators and run and run them out all together? <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> the Falcons tried that and they hashtag won a few games at the end of the True. year. But um, but no, don't you agree? I mean, like that's yes. really the hack is, you know, Steve Spagnuolo was every bit as important to, I mean, Steve Spagnuolo and Tyra Matthew, I think made that defense at least league average, which is all they needed. I think in Dallas, you sort of, you know, that's what you're hoping with Mike Nolan and uh, you know, Wade Phillips did the same thing for the Rams. So um, I, to me, the where I completely agree with this is not spending large investments in singular defensive players. Mm-hmm. So it's not those, those are those are akin to trophies in my opinion. Like large, great defensive players are trophies um, that don't amount to wins. You hate defense. Uh, last one here is uh, Swag Daddy Forty Two. Nice. Hit us, hit us up so we can re- we can get you some PFF swag. Um, I've been thinking about this for a while. Uh, do you think we? undervalue the importance of a great offensive play caller slash head coach. Is it possible that it is more important for team success than, than a quarterback? For example, Matt Ryan versus Kyle Shanahan. Ooh, strong take. Okay. Here's the question. What do you think is more stable? Your, your edge over opposing defensive minds or your ability to play quarterback? 
Yeah, that that is you said it perfectly. It is the ability to play quarterback. The, and and I, I think this is a great question. And because we, we have seen that <clears throat> we have seen that great coaches are unicorns, mm-hmm. but great quarterbacks like well, great coaches without great quarterbacks are what Belichick was in Cleveland. Um or what Shanahan was the year that Garoppolo got injured and Garoppolo's, you know, good quarterback, not great, but um, they're, they're what Kansas city was with Alex Smith, which is a good team, fun team, but no, not a Super Bowl team. Um, So that, that would be my only comeback. I think, I think they're valued properly, but I I would say. I, um, I just think it's harder. So, the way that you have an edge offensive as offensive coach as such play caller is by maintaining that over the other, you know, 60 head coaches slash offensive coordinators out there. Whereas to be a really good quarterback, you're maintaining in, in large part like this athletic edge that is harder to kind of make up, I think. Right. So uh, I'm with you there. Uh, okay. You have any, any stories from the Cincy Y or the Wisconsin Y or wherever the hell you are? I I've been um, going to cut down some trees. Well, I, I got a great view of some of the countryside over here, but uh, no, I mean, I, I, the, like I said before, like I said uh, before the, the tricky thing is that, um, you know, I have to drive to get my food now, which is like hashtag privileged, but um, that that's going to be, that's going to be the new one here before when I lived in the, you know, Ohio, my, a lot of my workout was, it was like walking to like get stuff for my family. And, uh, now it's, uh, now I'm, 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 uh, I'll probably do farm chores with my in-laws who are just like a mile or two down the street here, but with my daughter, but, uh, other than that, I don't know. I might jump. I, I, I heard what you said on Seren show. I'll try to jump and land softly, uh, hmm. repeatedly now. It's uh jumping. Is it underutilized exercise? I, will say I agree. I can't wait to play basketball again. I haven't played basketball since I like, you know, got hurt and, yeah. and you know, that was like three months ago. Man, me too. Um, All right. We'll jump and land softly. Stay safe out there. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.